The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Welcome. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 53. And as you're turning there, I just want to encourage you men to, uh, to sign up to go on the tribe retreats. Last year, we had an incredible retreat. I, I, and and uh, how many of you guys were there last year at the tribe retreat? It was an awesome time. I, God really showed up in a, in a powerful way. And I, I think one of my favorite things was after the retreat was over, we were getting all these testimonies from the wives of men who went on the retreat. Just talking about what a difference they were seeing in their husbands and and some of the stuff that had come from them going on the retreat. And, uh, and I just want to encourage you, both men and women, to do everything you can. I know it's a Thursday, starts on Thursday night, Friday and Saturday. Uh, there's a lot of excuses not to go, but I, I just want to really challenge you to be a person who goes, rearrange your schedule a little bit, because I really believe that God's going to show up and do something really incredible, minister to you. I believe you're going to be different than, uh, than how you came. And I'm not going to ask how many of you wives would like a different husband. You can just kind of go, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, encourage your husband to go and let's, let's make a way for that, all right? Isaiah chapter 53, we're in a series right now called Jesus in the Flesh. And we're talking about through this series, the humanity of Jesus. Most of us understand that Jesus is God, but, but Jesus also, when he came to this earth, he put on flesh. He became a man. He put on skin wrapped himself in flesh, and then he died on the cross, fully God and fully man. He was resurrected fully God and fully man, and he sits at the right hand of God, fully God, fully human. The reason he did that, one, is so he could be a sacrifice for our sins, so that he could make a way for us, so that we can be forgiven, but the other thing is so that he could relate to us in some of the issues of our life, and he could actually bring help to us in the issues of our life. In fact, Hebrews chapter 2 says it like this. It says, this is why he had to enter into every detail of human life, every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as the high priest to get rid of people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and will be able to help where help was needed. No matter what you're facing today, Jesus can relate to you and he wants to help you. And so today I want to talk to you about an aspect of our life where we maybe need some help, and that is in the pain and sorrow and hurt of life. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm calling this message Man of Sorrows, and I want to help you today to deal with, in a biblical way, through Jesus, the pain and the sorrow and the hurt that you have experienced in your life. And, and so in order to do this, I want to take a moment as we jump into this today, and I just want to pray. And I want to, I want to invite you to be open, open your heart and open your mind to what God has to say to you. There, there's two ways that you can kind of receive this message. And, and, and you can even, I, I, I definitely sensed it during first service, and, and I, I promise you there's going to be some moments of this during this service. There's a little bit of resistance. There's a resistance because the enemy doesn't want you to hear this. That's part of it. The other side of it is some of you, if you're being really honest, some of this you don't really want to, you don't want to hear. See, freedom costs. And I was talking to someone between services that heard the message. And they were like, you know, freedom costs. And sometimes it costs us that thing that we've been hanging on to. 
that thing that's kind of been the excuse. And so I, I'm, I'm offering you something. Let me just tell you, holding on to that excuse, what I'm offering you is better, I promise you. What Jesus wants to give you today is far better. So I want you to be open. Open up your heart. Open up your mind. And, and in order to kind of do this, I want you to just kind of put out your hands. This is just a posture. What you're doing with this is you're saying, this is the posture of my heart right now, Lord. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room. I pray, Lord God, that you minister to every heart here today. Lord, we ask that our ears would be open. I pray, God, that you would use me. Lord, let me be a vessel through which your word can, can be communicated. I pray that I would disappear and that you would show up, that the loudest voice in this room would be the, the voice of Jesus, the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us, communicating what's truth, because truth can bring freedom. So, Lord, we pray, God, and we say that we're here to listen, we're here to hear from you, and we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 Isaiah 53, I told you to turn there. Uh, Isaiah 53 is a messianic chapter. And when, when I say that, here's what it means. It's, it's a chapter that's prophesying about the Messiah who was going to come. This is 700 years before Jesus. And in Isaiah 53, you read a lot of things that speak to the character and what Jesus is going to do. Even some of the things that he's going to do that we don't, we don't quite understand until he comes on the scene. Okay, So Isaiah 53 verse 3 says this. It says, he is despised and rejected by men. We know that that's what happened to Jesus. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, in order to understand what this is saying, you've got to kind of understand what a few of these words were. In the, in the original Hebrew, uh, that word sorrows means he was a man of physical and mental pain and anguish. Uh, the word grief means that he, he, he had physical sickness and disease. And the word acquainted means that he came to know those things by experience. So listen, Jesus experienced, came to know it through the experience. He experienced physical and mental pain, anguish, heartbreak. Jesus experienced that. And he experienced that, why? Well, we, we read it earlier, Hebrews 2.18. He experienced all the pain, all the testing, why? So he could help people. Whatever you're dealing with today, Jesus wants to help you. And I think we can all agree that from time to time in life, we, we face pain and suffering and hurt. And in fact, Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, you're going to face stuff from time to time. We live in a broken, fallen world. There's a curse on this world. And while you may be redeemed from the curse, that doesn't mean the curse doesn't still exist in this world and doesn't mean it won't try to get on you from time to time. So you're going to have times in your life when the curse is coming against you, when attacks are coming against you. The, the Bible says that we're to resist the devil and he will flee from us. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. The Bible says that we fight the good fight of faith. Think about that. Every one of those verses talks about you're in a fight, you're going to wrestle, and you got to resist. You're, you're in the middle of something here, and, and you can't just... Hope for the best. You got to have a plan. Romans 8.38 says this. We know this verse. We love this verse. We know that he makes all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. You guys know that verse. You got that up on, a, on your fridge, written in your car. We love that verse because it speaks to the, the promise that Jesus is going to be there for you when, when times are tough. It's a guarantee. I love that. But, but understand, based on the construct of that verse, in, in order for God to work all things together for your good, that means it didn't start so good. <laughs> it means it, did, it wasn't good until God got a hold of it. 
Jesus doesn't promise everything's going to start good, but he promises, the word of God promises it'll end well if you invite Jesus into it. And so, so we're going to face stuff. The question is, how, what are we going to do with it? Now, the world we live in today, there's kind of two things that typically people do when it comes to pain and hurt and sorrow. One is we bury it. We try to hide it. We, we try to act like it didn't happen, like it doesn't exist. We'll just bury it away and pretend it didn't, it didn't really happen. Well, we all know that person who has never dealt with some of the past, and then things come up. A little resistance comes up, and all of a sudden, the teeth come out. And you start to see stuff in this person's character that you're going, what is going on with you? It's because they've never dealt with other things. So, so we bury it. The other side of it is it buries us. It becomes the excuse for why we're the way we are. It becomes our identity. We live from this place of this happened or this hurt took place or this is how people have treated me and this is how I react for the rest of my life. This is how I live my life in this world. Here's the problem with both of those approaches. Neither of them bring any real help, freedom, or relief. They don't. So what's the answer? What's what's the cure for this? Because I believe Jesus offers us a cure. So today I want to give you three truths based on the life of Jesus, based on the heart that I see in Jesus that will bring freedom to you in this area, that will help you to deal with the pain and the sorrow. And what's interesting is I was preparing this message this week, the Holy Spirit reminded me that in the Bible there are three occasions where Jesus cried. And I want to look at those three occasions today and I want to base these truths on those situations where we see Jesus crying. All right, so here they are. There's the first one. You guys down for this? You ready? All right. If you're going to deal with the pain and the sorrow and the hurt of your life, number one, the first thing you got to realize, this truth is Jesus cares about your sorrows. You have got to believe that Jesus cares about your hurt and your pain and your sorrows. In, in uh, Luke chapter 19, Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem and he is well on his way to what's going to happen where he goes and, and he's crucified and, and, and put, put in a, on a cross right outside of Jerusalem in Golgotha and, and die for the, the sins of the world. So he's on, that, that's kind of, the, the wheels are in motion for that. And he's walking towards Jerusalem and as he walks there and he sees the city, he begins to cry. Look at this with me, Luke 19 verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, here it is, he began to weep. Jesus, the Son of God, who is God, began to cry. Why? Look at what it says. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. One of the things I'm talking to you about today is how to experience peace. Because all this pain, all this turmoil, all this hurt, it doesn't lead to peace. He said, I wish they would understand this. But now it's too late. Peace is hidden from them. One of the, re- one of the ways you have peace is you have peace when you're connected to God. And these people are not going, or they're not walking the path that's going to lead them to connection with God. Verse 43, before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side that will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. You're going to be stolen from, you're going to be destroyed. People are going to be killed. Sounds like the work of the enemy, right? Steal, kill, and destroy. Because you did not, look at this, you did not recognize it when God visited you. So here's the thing. The people of Jerusalem 
are going to reject Jesus. They've already started to, and they're going to reject Jesus. And Jesus, as he's walking towards this city, his heart is broken for this city because he knows what happens when people reject Jesus. And it's still true to this day. When you reject the work of Jesus Christ, when you reject the love of Jesus Christ, when you reject the cross and what he's done for you, it leads to your life being destroyed. And Jesus understands that. He understands that's what's waiting them. And he's brokenhearted. they're, They're rejecting him. They're rejecting the one who wants to save them. And I want you to know this morning, if you're gonna receive healing from Jesus, if you're gonna receive freedom from Jesus when it comes to the pain and the sorrows, you cannot reject Jesus when it comes to your sorrows. You have to invite Jesus into your sorrows. Welcome him in so that he can do the work that he wants to do in the middle of your sorrows. And and if you're going to do that, you have to recognize that Jesus cares. Why is he weeping? Because he cares. Because he loves them. And listen, he loves you this morning. He cares for you this morning. He cares about those things that hurt. He cares about those moments in your life where you felt abandoned or betrayed. He cares about those things. The Bible says this in in Psalms 9, verse 9 and 10, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. In other words, he's a place that those who are oppressed can go and they can receive healing. They can receive restoration. A stronghold in a time of trouble. That means it's a safe place, a place to go to for protection. Those who know your name, they know you, they know Jesus, they know God, will trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those, say these last three words with me, who seek you. Notice, God wants to be your refuge. He wants to be your stronghold. He wants to be that for you in the middle of your trouble. But in order to experience that, you got to seek him in the middle of your trouble. And you won't seek him if you don't believe he cares. And some of you don't believe he cares. In fact, you believe what you're dealing with, he caused. And because you believe that he's the one. And listen, I'm going to step on some theology this morning. Because some of you have sat in churches where they told you God made you this way. God is doing that to you. God hurt you. God gave you cancer. And it's a lie. God is good. What what do we say? God is good? This, this, This week I was with my son Gus in the car. And we were driving out of our neighborhood. And I was just like, God is good. And he was just like, Yeah. I was like, no, buddy, you're supposed to say all the time. And he's like, oh, okay, all the time. And I was like, no, let's, let's try it again. God is good all the time. And I was like, all the time. <laughs> he didn't know. Uh, he didn't get it. So I was like, okay, here's how it works. So, but it's true. God is good. All the time. He is. He's good. In fact, Jesus said that when you see him, you see God in the flesh. Jesus said he came only to do the will of the Father. That's what the Bible says. So when you look at the life of Jesus, you see the will of God and you see God on display in the flesh for the world. Show me the scripture where God made some, where Jesus made somebody sick. Show me the scripture where Jesus killed somebody. Show me the scripture where Jesus put a, a burden on somebody that they could not handle. Show it to me. You can't because it never happened. The Bible says Jesus went about doing good and healing all. Everybody say all who were oppressed by the devil. That's what he did. That's the character of Jesus. That's the nature of Jesus. Jesus, time and time again in scripture, he comes to places where he's dealing with pain and sorrow and hurt and death. And every time he fought against it, every time God is good all the time. He is. He's good. James 1.13 says this, God cannot be tempted by evil. 
And he himself does not tempt anyone. It's not in his nature. It's not a part of who he is. First John 1 verse 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. How many think pain and sorrow and hurt are darkness, right? The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author of confusion. If you've ever suffered pain and, and hurt, how many of you know in those moments, there's some confusion that comes along with that. So God's not the author of the stuff that causes you pain and sorrow and hurt. Can I get an amen? amen. God is good. You got to realize that because if you don't believe that, you won't turn to him. We very rarely turn to the person who's abusing us for relief or for healing. If someone is just, for no reason, just blasting you upside the head from time to time, I doubt you're going to go to that person for comfort, right? And yet that's what we think about God sometimes. That's what some of you have believed. It's a lie. It's a lie of the devil. The thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. Jesus came that you may have life and that you would have it more abundantly. And so you have to believe this. What you feel is not evidence of how God feels about you. Write that down. You may be facing some stuff right now. And I know sometimes when you're in the middle of a mess, when you're in the middle of some hurt and pain, sometimes we, we tend to kind of think this is evidence that maybe God's not happy with me. Maybe God's mad at me. Maybe God's trying to hurt me and do something to me. No, no, no. It's not true. If you want to know how God feels about you, how God, how, what defines God's love for you, look at the cross. Yes. At the cross, Jesus said, I care about you. I care about what hurts you. I care about the sickness on your life. I care about those things. And I'm going to die so you can be free. And that's what leads us to point number two. Jesus cares about your sorrows. Here's number two. Jesus carried your sorrows. At the cross, Jesus carried your pain and your hurt and your sorrow. On the night that, that Jesus was going to be crucified the next day, Jackson talked about this, alluded to this a little bit. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's hours away from the toughest thing that anyone's ever had to go through. He knows what's going to happen. Roman soldiers are going to come. They're going to take him away. They're going to beat him, abuse him, punch him, rip his, his beard out. They're going to smash a crown of thorns down on his head. They're going to beat him with what's called a cat of nine tails, a whip that has these leather bands that have bones and pieces of glass that are designed to rip the flesh from your back. He's going to hang on a cross with nails driven through his hands and his feet, bleeding to death while also suffocating to death, only being able to grab breath by pushing up on the very nail that holds his feet in place. He's going to suffer immensely and he knows it's coming. And so he's under this incredible pressure to the point that the Bible says that he's, he's sweating drops of blood. And I think we all kind of understand that probably in that moment there was some tears shed. Well, Hebrews 5 actually tells us that's exactly what happened. Hebrews 5 or 7 says this, during the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions. Here it is with fervent cries and tears. This is the second time we see Jesus crying in scripture with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. That's talking about when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's saying, is there any other way? Can this cup pass from me? Except he says, not my will, but yours be done. And, and he knew everything he was going to face and yet he went through with it. How is he willing to do that? Because he knew what was waiting on the other side. 
few years ago, we were getting ready to go on a uh, vacation to Disneyland. And if you know anything about our family, we love going to Disneyland. And we try to go every couple of years. And I've been going since I was a kid and we love taking our kids. It's my favorite vacation. You may think I'm a psycho, but I love it. I do. And so we're a couple of weeks away from going and, uh, and, and we're getting everything ready. We got the tickets, everything's all set. We're all, they're all set to go. And I realized that my license has expired. And when I realized this, I was kind of, I was kind of nervous. Cause I was like, well, could that affect me being able to fly if I don't have a if I have an expired license. And so I did the thing that you're not supposed to do. And I got online and I began to read, right? And you know, if you search stuff online, you're always going to find really bad answers if you want to. Okay. So I found some stuff where people were saying, no, it didn't affect, you know, it didn't matter at all. And then I found a few that were like, yes, they wouldn't let me fly because my license was expired. And that was enough for me to be like, okay, I'm not taking any chances. I'm going to go deal with this. Now at the time I was living in Dallas and the Dallas DMV is known for being hell on earth. <laughs> like it takes hours. I'd, I'd heard of different people who had spent hours there waiting in line and going through this process and dealing with the people that work there, you know? And I just think about like, we go do this kind of stuff once a year. Those people live that. So when you're dealing with these people, like customer service, feeling like they, the feeling that they feel like they can make a difference, that's been blown out of them a long time ago. <laughs> So they could care less about your situation. So, so here's my issue. I'm, I'm in Dallas. I have an Oklahoma license though. That's expired. Yeah, I know. So I'm, I, I do all my research and I'm feeling like I, I think I got this covered. I, I get all my paperwork. I've got checks and cash and cards. I've got all the different pieces of ID. Like I'm bringing a portfolio of stuff because I do not want to mess this up. I've heard about people getting to the front and getting turned away and I don't want to wait in line. I get there early, like before the sun's up and there's already a line, but I'm, I'm close to the front of the line. But then, then they open up the doors and I'm walking up and I'm feeling pretty good. Grace of God's on me, favor of God. I got this. I stepped up to this line and I get there and I hand the lady all my stuff and I'm like, I'm here to renew my license. And she says, well, we got a problem. In a very loving way, she said it, by the way. She said, because your license is Oklahoma and it's expired. There's only two things that can happen here. One is you have to take the driver's test again. Like what you take when you're 16 years old, which I don't even know if I would pass anymore. I don't know when to turn left at a, you know, I don't know this stuff anymore. I just drive. <laughs> and the other side of that is I can't even do it. It's like a three week wait and I'm, tr I'm leaving in two weeks. The other option is I can go to Oklahoma and renew my license. So she's like, you can go to Durant. It's, it's, it's an hour or Toka. It's an hour and 45 minutes away. I'm looking at this lady going, is there any other way? <laughs> Is there a way you could make this cup pass for me right now? Like if I, I, is there any other paperwork? Is there, you know, can we meet in the back? I'll give you some cash. Like we just kind of, you know, but nothing will change her stoic position of carelessness. So, so I get in my car and I call up Sarah and I'm like, Hey, here's the deal. I'm going to a toka. My day off is going to be spent in a toka. It's a beautiful city, by the way. So I drive an hour 45 to Atoka's DMV, which is like this cinder block building that I'm, I'm like outside going, is this it or is this a meth house? Like, what is this? 
I go inside. <laughs> She's looking at me like, you shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have. I don't know. I go inside, and it's the same nature of could care less about my situation. But I get to the front, hand him all my stuff, and the lady says, well, we got a problem. It's like, what? Your, your uh, birth certificate is a photocopy, and I need a certified copy. So here's the deal. You can go to Durant, another 45 minutes away, and you can get from the courthouse a certified copy. I'm looking at this lady right now, and I'm, I'm having to remind myself, Jesus loves you. Like, Jesus loves you. I get in my car. I drive to Durant. I get my, my birth certificate after about another hour and a half. Drive back to Atoka. Get my new license. I'm driving home. By the time I got home, it took me nine and a half hours that day on my day off. A whole day off spent just getting my license. But here's the deal. Throughout that entire process, there was a joy set before me. As I was going through all of those moments, I was thinking about walking up to the turnstiles at Disney and having my card scanned and this wonderful little noise that it makes. If you've ever been to a Disney park, when you get scanned in, it goes, that little sound. I was hearing that sound in my spirit. It was exciting. I was thinking about walking into Main Street and the smells of churros and popcorn and the music, seeing the smiles on my kids' faces. I had a joy set before me, so I was able to endure the hardship. Now, by no means am I comparing my day at the DMV to what Jesus went through at the cross. Don't get me wrong. Here's my point. Jesus was focused on something more than the pain. He was focused on the joy. Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy that was set before him was you and me. He was having a relationship with us. And so he endured all that pain, all that suffering. Most of us understand the physical pain, but you know what else happened at the cross? All of the sin, all of the, the mental anguish, everything was placed on Jesus. He carried it all. Isaiah 53, we, we read earlier, verse 3 talks about him being a man of sorrows. In verse 5 it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was placed upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Here, here's what that tells us. Every issue of life, everything that hurts you and brings pain and sorrow, every sickness, everything that is not of God was placed on Jesus at the cross. On the cross, Jesus experienced what it's like to be molested. On the cross, Jesus experienced what it's like to have someone you care about completely abandon you and turn their back on you. And everything, the worst possible thing you can imagine that you can imagine anyone experiencing, he experienced it and he experienced it all at the same time. He became the man of sorrows. Why? So you could be free from sorrows. It was placed on him on the cross and it died with him on the cross. And if you choose so, it can be dead to you by the cross. You don't have to continue to carry it. You don't have to continue to live with it. It can die and you can be resurrected to new life in Jesus and have the life he's called you to. And that leads me to my third point. Jesus can cure your sorrows. 
Jesus came to cure your pains, your hurts, your sorrows. Jesus didn't die on the cross so you could cope, church. He didn't die on the cross so that you could live the rest of your life with that issue in front of you, leading you, burying you, or you trying to bury it. Jesus didn't die so the rest of your life you could say, well, I'm, I struggle with depression and I'm just, this is just who I am and I'm going to have depression for the rest of my life and I just own that. That's not why Jesus died on the cross. He came to give you life abundantly. And he died and was resurrected so that you could be resurrected to new life in him. That's what he came to do. And he can cure your sorrows. He carried them and he can cure them. In the Bible, in in Luke chapter, uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 11, verse 11, it says this. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, her sister the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent a message to him. So there's these two sisters. They've got a brother named Lazarus. He's sick. They send a message to Jesus. The message says, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So these people have a special relationship with Jesus. Obviously, I mean, when they, get, when they send the message to him, it, it, the message doesn't say Lazarus is sick. It says, he whom you love is sick. So, so obviously there's a close relationship here. So you would think that in that moment, Jesus is going to hear this. He's going to go, okay, I got to go. I'm dropping everything. I got to get to this guy. That, the one who I love is sick and I got to go deal with this right now. But that's not what he does. Look at what it says here in verse six. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. You're kind of going, what? See, Jesus had a different timetable than everybody else. And one of the things you need to recognize today is Jesus doesn't work on your timetable. See, but one of the things theologians will tell you is it's believed that there was a trap set for Jesus, that people knew that he would report, that he would go to Lazarus. They'd heard about that. And so they set up a trap and they wanted to kill him on his way there, but it wasn't his time. And so he delayed. He had ministry to do. And so he finished what he was doing and he went on his timetable, God's timetable. But because of that, Uh, Lazarus dies. Picks up verse 11. He said to them, his disciples, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go to wake him up. Now remember that. He he says he sleeps, so I'm going to wake him up. Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. His disciples don't get it like many of us wouldn't get it either, if we're being real. Jesus says he's sleeping. We'd be like, oh, well, let's wake him up from his nap. You know, that's what they're saying. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking of taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> I, I imagine Jesus sometimes was just kind of going, God, he's dead, guys, okay? <laughs> now, now think about this. He says that, so, so understand he knew that at the beginning. And he says he's asleep. So basically, you can take what he says at the end and apply it to the beginning. And what he says at the beginning is, he's dead, I'm going to raise him from the dead. Jesus knows what he's going to do. He knows what's going to go down. But now it's been four days since he first got the news. The messengers have gone to Jesus and they've come back. And Jesus didn't show up for another day and a half after they get back. It's a, it's a day and a half travel and, and Jesus is still not there. And so Lazarus dies. And Martha and Mary love Lazarus. And, and Jesus shows up, but now it's too late. And they come to Jesus and they're both in these places that I think we find ourselves when it comes to pain and sorrow. They're hurting right now. And Martha comes out to Jesus 
And she's frustrated. And I think Martha is dealing with this question, and I'll show you it. I think she's wondering, not only is she dealing with the pain of losing her brother, but I think now she's starting to question, are you really who I thought you were? You didn't show up the way I thought you would. You didn't do this the way I thought you were going to do it. And we, we've all been there. Those moments where God didn't do stuff exactly the way we thought it would, and we find ourselves kind of going, is, is God still God? Is Jesus on, really on the throne? Look at what it says here. Verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now what she's saying here, I don't believe she really believes it at this time. I'll show you that here in just a second. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she's getting kind of theological with Jesus here. Like, Jesus, I know what you say. Like, I know that, but what, what, I know what you're, I kind of think I know what you're saying, but what are you really saying here is kind of what she's saying. I don't know about this anymore, Jesus. You weren't here when I thought you'd be here. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Write that down. Make a note of that. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me, he shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked her, do you believe it? And I believe in this moment, now he's come back and he, she's, see, Martha's going, are you really who you, I thought you were? And he says, yes, I am. I am who you thought I am. I'm the resurrection and the life. And he says, do you believe it? Look at her response. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into this world. And I believe she is fully believing that, fully in faith at that moment. So she runs to tell her sister, Jesus is here. And Mary comes out and her interaction with Jesus is different. Then Mary, verse 32, came out where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet saying, same exact statement. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I'm guessing based on where the verse goes from here, that she's not questioning whether or not he's God. She's just hurting in this moment. Because it says, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping. I want some of you to know this morning that that pain, that hurt, that suffering that you're dealing with, Jesus sees you. He sees you. His eyes are fixed on you. And he doesn't just see you. Look what it goes on to say here. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have they laid him? In other words, he's starting to move now. Something's going to take place. But notice verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. When he meets Martha, she comes with questions. And he answers her questions. She comes with frustrations. And he, he speaks to those frustrations. And I want you to know, you can come to Jesus with your questions. You can come to Jesus with your frustrations. But when he meets Mary, he meets her in the middle of her hurt. She didn't have questions. She just hurt. And he doesn't just look at it. And, and this is what struck me. Actually, this morning, this, this hit me. He knows what he's going to do. He already said it. He's going to resurrect Lazarus. Have you ever been in one of those situations before, like maybe with your kid or with somebody else, where you know something they don't know? And, and like, like, for example, someone's all upset because no one remembered their birthday 
or they didn't do anything for them. And you know, like, yeah, we're going to this restaurant and there's a surprise birthday party, you know? And so you're kind of like, yeah, bummer, you know? <laughs> or like your kids are hurt over something and, and uh, you know what's gonna happen, like you know what's really waiting. And so it's kind of like, it's, it's gonna be okay, you know? Jesus knew what he was gonna do. And yet that's not the attitude he had with Mary. It's gonna, you're gonna be okay, like you'll see, it's gonna be fine. No. He weeps. Some of you need to hear this this morning. In those moments of hurt, the heart of God is broken for you. He can relate to you. Whatever you're dealing with, he can relate. I've had a few real moments of sorrow in my life. We lost a child halfway through a pregnancy one time. After that happened, anytime I hear about somebody losing a child or difficulty in childbirth or anything like that, man, it breaks my heart. And I want to minister to them because I can relate. I relate to the pain. I can relate to the guy who struggled with pornography. I can relate. I've been there. I can hurt with you. Jesus can relate to whatever you're dealing with. And his heart hurts for you. And he wants to meet you right where you are. But listen, he doesn't want to keep you right where you are. And that's what I love about Jesus. Everything he is doing is moving towards resurrection. So go, we, we go down here to, let's see, verse 40. Jesus goes to the tomb where Lazarus is buried Verse 40, did I not say that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Which is interesting because what he's saying there is, I I need faith. And that's why he talked to Martha. He had to get her believing. He had to get her faith in the right place. He says, if you believe, you would see great things. He's setting the table here. Something amazing is going to happen. Verse 43, now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound head and foot in grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, let loose him and let him go. Now, here's what's fascinating. We think that when Lazarus was resurrected, that we kind of have this image of like, you know, the side of a, a little tomb and, and a little rock in front of it, kind of like Jesus was, you know, buried in that. But actually, Lazarus was in this thing that was more like a well. The tomb he was in was this long, like well-like thing that had stairs that went way down in it. And so Lazarus shouts down into this well, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus begins to come forth. Now, notice he's still bound. How in the world did he get up those stairs? He's like... (laughs) So it either took him a long time or like something crazy happened. I don't know if he levitated out of there, but something happened. Not not only is he resurrected, but everybody's sitting there going, what? To the point Jesus has to be like, hey, guys, you want to like cut him loose and let him out like he's been resurrected? Jesus resurrected him. What the pain and the sorrow and the thing that had bound them and hurt, he brought life to it. He changed the circumstance and that's what he wants to do. And that's why he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's not just pointing to the resurrection work he's going to do with Lazarus. He's pointing to his empty tomb that he's going to die on the cross with your pain and your sorrow and your hurt and be resurrected to new life. So you don't have to. Jesus became the man of sorrow. He died as the man of sorrow. So you can be resurrected to new life without sorrow and pain and hurt. 
And if you choose anything less than that, you're spitting on the cross. I'm a little fiery about this this morning, but I want you free. I don't want you bound. Do you believe? That's what Jesus said to Martha. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you want to believe? Do you want to be free? Because if you do, Jesus paid the price so you can be. And if you will cast your care on the Lord, he cares for you. He'll take it. He already took it. If you'll place your hurt your wound, that thing that has marked you to this point, if you'll stick it on the cross and leave it there and then take up the new life that Jesus offers you, you can receive that and you can be free. I know what you're dealing with. Even if I could relate to it, I I couldn't, I don't know that I could necessarily do anything about it, but Jesus can. He knows where you are. He's felt what you felt and he offers you healing. And what you may feel feels very real, but the work of Jesus is even more real. And he offers you real peace and real joy and a real future in him if you'll receive it. Do you believe? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I recognize that there's probably some people here today and you have hurt and you have pain and you have sorrow. You have things in your life that have marked you and hurt you. And I want you to know Jesus cares about that thing. And Jesus carried that thing. And Jesus can cure that thing. And and what I want to do for you today is I want you to cast it to him. I want you to, I want you, I want to pray over you today. And I want you to imagine that you're placing that on the cross. And that it's being buried. And no more. I want you to see yourself walking out of that tomb. Being cut loose from all those things that have bound you being set free, raised to new life, the sorrow and the hurt, they have no right in you anymore because of what Jesus has done. If that's you today, I want to pray over you. Just right there, you know what it is. I just want you to have this heart attitude that says, Jesus, I'm giving this to you. I'm casting this to you. Maybe even something you say right now to to the Lord, just between you and God, just right there in your breath. Lord, I give this to you. Lord, I lift up these people today. I don't know what they're dealing with. I don't know what they're facing. I can't relate to every situation in this room, every hurt in this room, every bit of sorrow in this room. I can't relate to it, Jesus, but you can. You've you've faced it, you've dealt with it, you've experienced it. And I pray right now that as we cast these cares on you, and as I pray this, I want you to see yourself. I want you to see yourself throwing that care at the feet of Jesus. So we cast this care on you, Lord. We lay it down and we take up new life. We take up freedom. We take up new identity in Jesus Christ. We take up that the cross has the final word on our life, not that hurt. We believe that and we receive that in Jesus' name. I pray for a supernatural work of healing. I curse depression. I curse sickness. I curse everything that rises against the finished work of the cross. I speak to those things and command them to go. I speak to Satan. I I curse you. I resist you in Jesus' name until you have no place over a child of God. We receive the healing and the freedom that Jesus offers us. And we thank you that from this day forward, we see ourselves free in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning, church? I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come down.
Maybe today you, you'd still, you, you, you received that prayer this morning, but maybe you would like somebody to pray with you. Well, we'd love to pray with you today for whatever it is that you're dealing with. We say it all the time. If it matters to you, matters to God, no matter how big or how small it may be, we invite you to cast that care on the Lord this morning. You don't have to get into all the details of it. All you have to do is, really, all you have to do is come down and say, I need prayer today. And we'll go from there. But we'd love to join our faith with yours in whatever it is that you're believing for. So we're going to go back into a worship song here. And during this time, at any time, feel free, you can come down and you can receive prayer this morning. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. You died on the cross for our sins. You made a way. You knew what was ahead of you and you went through it anyways because the joy of having a relationship with us was greater than the pain and the turmoil that was rising against you. And we're so grateful for that, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for carrying my pain, my sin, my sickness, my hurt, my everything. I thank you that we are raised to new life in you. And I pray that there's anyone by the sound of my voice that needs prayer this morning, that they would step out and receive all that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.